Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm with my co-host, Matt Swartz. Hi there. And we're going to talk about, it's an electrifying subject. We're going to, we're going to, (laughs) terrible pun, (laughs) bad jokes. Got to get them in there every chance you can though. (laughs) So we're going to talk about the Hummer EV, which I will say off the bat is an extremely exciting vehicle on specification and in practice. And we're going to talk about our experience with that vehicle over the last two days in Arizona. And we're going to go through the specs. We're going to go through all of our impressions and our opinions on the vehicle and and what it does great at and what it doesn't do so great at. Really fun vehicle overall. And special thanks to Equipped for supporting today's podcast. More than 15 years ago, Equipped Expedition Outfitters became the first American company to import the best in breed vehicle expedition equipment from across the globe. Since their humble beginnings, they have risen to become a go-to leader within the adventure travel industry, continuing to deliver a diverse portfolio of reliable, long-lasting products backed by unparalleled customer service. From shelter solutions from EasyOn to portable fridges from National Luna to aluminum storage boxes from Alubox, their ever-growing selection of best-in-class gear increases your capability, comfort, and confidence during any adventure. Visit equippedone.com to gear up. Before we do that, what's what's new, Matt? What's going on? Oh man, um, lots of stuff. Honestly, just had the truck in at Summit Four x Four, which is our local specialty off-road vehicle shop up here in Prescott. Yep. Those guys were installing a new AEV lift in the, our 2500 Ram. So it's so good. It looks really good. It looks really good. Yeah. It changed the character of that truck so much. And in, in addition to the lift, we put on some 17 inch wheels, um, also from AEV with 37 inch tires. And so yeah, going from the OEM standard on the road sure. wheel tire combo to what is really like a proper wheel for overland driving off-road adventures. It's totally different. Yeah, it just matches the flotation to the weight of the truck. Yeah. So it's just going to really improve your, you'll find in the snow, it's going to do better. You'll find in the sand, it's going to do better. Mud, it'll do better, a little more flotation, but it looks, it looks great. And I've always been such a huge fan of the tradesman. So see the tradesman project coming along like that is great. I'm really looking forward to producing some video content around this, this upgrade specifically, because yeah. I was lucky enough to have AEV support with the new uh, dual sport suspension package that they're doing. And so that has the new Bilstein 8100 uh, shock in it, which is a remote reservoir shock. And it's, it's just like, it's so beefy. Um, and you know, AEV tunes everything so that you get like a very close to, OE, well, you, you maintain OEM performance, right? You maintain your, your OEM spring. So you have those same spring rates and everything. So performance is not diminished in any way as far as towing uh, more payload, but yep. you have just such a much more comfortable ride. And, and even in the minimal amount of driving I've done since getting the truck back, it's already noticeable. I mean, it is, it just feels so much more plush and, um, and you the, know, t- the tires help as well. Definitely. You, know, you have more carcass that can, you know, absorb energy from the road and yep. impacts and like attenuate a little bit of that. And you, you did, uh, a general tire look like we put general uh atx um at tires on there so they're aggressive they've got you know some serious tread coming down onto the sidewall Mm -hmm. so you get that protection and that extra traction when you air down the the tires i think they're a great tire for someone like us who does a lot of towing too you know they're not overly aggressive like a mud terrain um they're not going to hopefully affect our gas mileage quite as much but they have a they have a really good warranty on them. I think they're 50,000 miles. I think we're supposed to run them at about 50 PSI, which is a little bit less at the high end than what we're used to. Uh, the truck calls for 60 PSI in the OEM tires. So nice. uh, e- even that, yeah, softens the ride. Just it will. It'll make a difference. It'll make a difference also on the trail and everything else. Yep. So now that you can go so much lower on air pressure, it's going to... Well, and you already took the truck out for a little bit of a, an evaluation. So it'll be fun, yeah. to get, fun to get your thoughts in future videos. You just dropped your first segment video on that trucks. You can, everybody can check that out on YouTube. Yep. And you're getting ready to leave Arizona. Where are you heading? Yeah. So uh, my partner, Amanda and our dog Royal and I are all going to load up the Airstream and we're going to head up to Grand Junction uh, to start off. So 
going to be hopefully doing some paragliding there. There's a great spot uh, for ridge soaring. And I also have two of the most important people to me. Um, yep. There are others, but yeah, sure. <laughs> two of them, uh, one of my brothers, my youngest brother, Tom, and one of my best friends in the world, Ethan, they're both going to come out from the East Coast and uh, they're going to join us. We're going to do a four day backpacking route um, back behind the Colorado National Monument. Amazing. Yeah, it's going to be nice. Lots of solitude. There's a wilderness area back there that few people visit. And so in the few times I've been there, I've I've seen like one or two other people. Oh, that'll be magic. That's amazing. Yeah. What about you? What's going on with you? You know, we're getting ready for the Overland Expo West. So we're starting to get ramped up for that. I'm getting a, a new scout with some updates that they've done. We didn't have any issues with the scout we have now, but they wanted to make sure that we were able to evaluate the, some of these new updates that they've been doing, which is great. They've got some new door configurations. They simplify things a little bit, remove some weight. So it's even more durable and minimalist than it was before, which is for me is awesome. So yeah, I'm excited you, to get that new one. You like a camper that's very simple, analog. As analog as possible, because yeah. what you really want, I find, or what I should rephrase that, what I really want in a camper is a quiet, comfortable, and then warm, if necessary, place to sleep. And the Scout just totally rocks that for a reasonable amount of money. So, And with without the complication of a lot of the systems that are right. kind of standard in, in other campers. Yeah. And it, everybody's going to have different needs. And for me, I'm happy with just having like a goal zero in there and very minimal electronics and very minimal systems. I don't need it to make hot water for me or have a water pump or anything like that. I just, I want a really comfortable, quiet place to do work and then a comfortable, quiet place to sleep at night, despite the conditions. So for me, the the simplicity was king. Yeah. So a lot going on with us with, uh, with the Overland Expo coming up. That's an exciting time of year. Oh yeah. And, uh, we've got a couple more vehicle launches coming up that are also really exciting. Some other new full-size truck products that are coming out with a lot more capability that we're going to be able to evaluate. The full-size truck segment continues to blossom. <laughs> you know, like we had the power wagon, that was it. But now, now we've got super trucks and other vehicles with front and rear lockers and everything else. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. It's hard to deny that payload. Yeah. Yeah. It really makes a difference. I mean, we were talking about that in the, in the truck this morning, driving up of just AT4 is just, it's just like a great car to drive. It's just, it's great on the highway. I can take it to Home Depot and get whatever I want to grab and throw a camper in the back of it or go do most trails. I mean, they are definitely size limited. There's no question. It's not as capable as like my G wagon was, for example, but a lot more trails than you'd think. When you have that awesome low displacement diesel engine that it just like gets incredible gas mileage considering the size of that vehicle. Yeah. That's the winner for me. I mean, if I was to say anything about the truck that I love the most, it's that drivetrain. It's the three liter turbo diesel with a 10 speed automatic to get like even in a 400 mile evaluation range on fuel economy, I've gotten as high as 24.8 miles per gallon. It's got larger tires on it, right? It's upgraded to a BF Goodrich, almost a 35. It's got a little bit heavier wheels on it as well. Other Mm -hmm. than that, it's pretty stock, but it's incredible the gas mileage it gets. Yeah. We were seeing 20 today on I-17 with a Putco rack and an iCamper roof tent on the top of it. Yeah. That doesn't exactly, uh, I mean- it sticks out a little bit. You it know? does. Yep. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're just keep getting better and better. We'll talk about getting it better and better. I mean, we just tested a super truck for a couple of days in Arizona, which is a great experience. We're going to riff through a couple of the considerations around the vehicle, but Matt and I thought it would be fun to talk through some of the key specs. I actually ran out of room on my piece of paper and I needed to move some of the segments down because there's so many, there's so many crazy things about this vehicle. And we can start with something that has nothing to do with overlanding, but it has to do with life is short and you might as well have some fun. Joy. Yeah. There's just joy. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. This is right within the joy category, which is zero to 60 in three seconds, which we experienced oh, yeah. the other day. We have the GoPro footage to prove it. We do. And <laughs> and we'll, we'll probably be able to put that here in the podcast, like our expressions. I already watched mine. I, I have a stupid look on my face. <laughs> and then, you know, obviously I haven't a big, seen mine yet. A big grin afterwards. Oh, I haven't, I haven't watched mine yet. That's so, <laughs> yeah, well, I should pull it up right now. Get like the real, the real time. The reaction of your reaction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You like, you feel your vision actually narrowing because the acceleration is so so prodigious. It's 100%. Incredible. Yeah. Just getting pressed back 
back into that seat like you're in a rocket ship. It felt like a rocket ship and it just doesn't make any of the traditional internal combustion engine noises. So it's just just like this violent excess acceleration, which was that was super fun. Oh, yeah. So we'll go into that a little bit more. And it achieves that with 1000 horsepower and 1200 foot pounds of torque at the motor. GMC Hummer, they talk about 11,000 500 foot pounds of torque. And we actually found out like, what does that actually mean? It takes some math to get there. It's kind of unique to an electric vehicle. Well, well not just an electric vehicle, any, but a lot of vehicles, if, if you did the math out, exactly. the way they're doing could advertise a higher torque output, right? Correct. It seems like this insane number, it's actually requires some context. So the 11,500 foot pounds of torque is the torque that's at the wheels. And which means that it's going through, they have a motor drive unit and that motor drive unit has gearing and that gearing affects the leverage of the torque that's available for, from the motor. Now, the thing that we don't know for sure is how the tire diameter, how that factors in. Like, is that when they say at the wheel, is that, is that at the hub of the wheel? Is that at the outer diameter of the wheel? It doesn't specify that. Um, so that might be interesting for us to find out at some point. As an example, we were watching a YouTube video trying to learn learn the difference between the two. And the guy who was speaking was talking about the example of a Dodge Damon. So that is a vehicle that has just under 1,000 foot-pounds of torque at mm-hmm. the motor. And because it goes through a transmission with a first gear of 4.72 and then goes through a final drive in the rear axle, I believe it was 3.09 was the number that, Sounds right. that he used. It actually actually ends up generating 14,000 plus foot pounds of torque at the wheel. When you compare them like a Dodge Damon, it's a, it is a crazy fast car. In fact, I think it's one of the fastest production zero to 60 quarter mile production vehicles that you can buy. So that's amazing. So when we put that in the context of the super truck, it just shows how fast it is. So those numbers are similar. In fact, the Damon makes more foot pounds of torque at the wheel than the super truck does. This 10,000 pound Hummer goes zero to 60 in three seconds. It's I mean, unreal. that's, that's the part that really catches you off guard. It's a 10,000 pound vehicle. It is yeah. not small at all. No, it's huge. Like just the dimensions of it, not just the weight. Yeah. It drives like a smaller vehicle. <laughs> yeah. Which we found out during the testing. And we'll talk about that in a second. It has three motors on board. It has two motors in the rear. So it has this very interesting, like combined motor drive unit. The castings that keep these things attached to the chassis are massive. Um, it's independent front and rear with front and rear steering. And the half shafts are massive. I mean, they look like like something that, you know, you would see in a F450 or something like that. They're absolutely massive. I remember you pointing that out. I mean, when we were looking at the, when they had the bare, you know, the Ultium platform yeah. chassis for us to, to have a look at. And I found that really interesting. And I also was really interested. I mean, you just mentioned it has the three motors. In electric vehicles, I think uh, we've gotten used to seeing the the motor unit in the hub, right? At the wheel. Mm-hmm. But the, like in the Rivian? Yeah. And the, but the Hummer EV is different. The, it is. the motors are on the inside on the chassis and that provides actually some, some advantages in some ways. It does. It provides, it's allows for the opportunity for a larger motor with more power. It also allows you to do some really effective cooling around it. That was and, the one, that was the one I remembered. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that the Rivian, for example, under certain conditions, the motors can get really hot, low speed, high torque, uh, low airflow. The ones in the wheel, they can only dissipate heat so much. Whereas they have during, this, during movement, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like low speed movement. Uh, whereas the, the Hummer has these oil cooled, the way that the engineer described it to us is that you have this oil reservoir and it pumps oil through the electric motors. And then that oil goes through a heat exchanger, which is actually a glycol loop. And as I remember, they use some of that also to generate heat within the cabin. They do a lot of very cool things that help them do that. And then each individual battery pack has 20, they have 24 battery packs, 24 cells per pack. Yep. Each one of those is cooled with a cooling plate. Yep. So very clever how they manage heat with all of that current. I think we, when we were, when we were getting to the trailhead, it was this monster Arizona storm. And I was saying like, how does it feel to be like in this torrential rainstorm sitting on 1.3 gigawatts of, <laughs> I mean, that, there's so much power. Like you feel like you can power an entire block with that thing. But totally. You need the flux capacity ambassador like <laughs> yeah. right behind your shoulder. Oh yeah. And didn't want, like one of the engineers said, like, if you look in the icons of all the icons you can pick for the accessories, I think there might be a 
flux capacitor in there. So it's just fun. The little, uh, the little Easter eggs, I think are really awesome. Totally. Three motors, two in the rear, one in the front, and then it does have a differential in the front um, with an electric locker. The front is a e-locker, electrically activated, mechanical, driver-actuated locker. In the rear, I would call it like a V-locker, a virtual locker. So it has two motor drives, so they match the motor speeds very tightly. There are some some factors that can influence that, uh, but they match the motor speeds very tight in RPM. So you end up with essentially the effect of, of a locker with no wheel spin from one side to the other. Uh, but it's very clever how it does it because even like in a really tight turn, if it's noticing a lot of scrub, then the vehicle can actually loosen up that locker a little bit. So I didn't get quite the same scrubbing that you would feel with a mechanical locker. So it's not kind of fighting you on those tight turns and things like that. Correct. And it also allows them to put in some safety guards as well, where if one particular wheel is at some extreme amount of torque um, or extreme amount of pressure, they could probably back that off a little bit to help preserve some of the mechanical components. So even though it says it's it's locked um, and in every effect it was like yesterday, it worked exactly how you would want a locker to work. So I don't want to take anything away from from this. Mm-hmm. I actually think like it, it's an electric electronic locker, but better. Uh, so it does all of the things you want an electronic like a smart locker. locker. It is yeah. for sure, yeah. which is, which is awesome. Very interesting how they set that up. It's got ultra vision, which is their 18 camera view camera system. The number of camera views is insane. Yeah. And it's awesome. It is really impressive. I mean, especially for a vehicle of that size, you know, I mean, like you, there's no ego in this. Like if you're piloting a vehicle of that size, it's so helpful to have some cameras to look at. It really just gives you a lot more confidence as a driver. What was your favorite view overall? I mean, I think the one that felt most practical to me was, was just the front view, you Mm -hmm. know, below like kind of grill height looking forward um, because there were a lot of instances on, on the test drive where, you know, we were cresting steep little sections where all I could see was sky. Right. And then I could just a big hood. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, being able to easily glance down at the infotainment screen, which was giant, it was like 12 inches at least. Um, and being able to just drive off of that for, you know, two seconds until I had a view of the trail out the windshield again, it it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. I like that combination of that view with the overhead view where it's this compilation of all of the camera views that they, they stitch into this like basically like a drone view perspective of where the vehicle's at on the trail. I found that really helpful as well. I like the fact that it had those under chassis cameras. Yeah. They use a hydrophobic coating that helps to keep water from collecting on the lenses. And then they even have little sprayers to clean them off because of course, under the chassis gets a bunch of dirt and grime. But the thing you notice right away is this, the underbody is completely flat. Yeah. It looks, it almost looks like a, like a toy car on the bottom. There's like, there's nothing to get hung up. That's right. It's just like a smooth, one giant smooth skid plate that can just glide off of anything. And they had so many specifications around preventing these batteries from getting punctured on rocks and everything else like that. Because they wanted to build the ultimate electric off-road vehicle. So they had all these intense requirements around performance, but that means you're rock crawling and everything else. So you can come down on skid plates and it's just this full length boron steel skid plate. So super strong, super light, a high degree of puncture resistance and totally flat. There's just a couple little holes for probably air cooling and stuff like that. But yeah, pretty interesting. We're used to seeing exhaust hanging down and differentials hanging down and shock mounts hanging down. And all of that is tucked up with the independent suspension and that skid plate. Yeah. That's a whole different mentality that you can take onto the trail when you're not so worried about ripping something off or damaging something that's going to disable your vehicle. And then what did you think about the range at 350 miles? We drove all day. Yep literally all day had power to spare when we got back to our final destination. We Um, did. I think we came in at just about 50% based upon the bar graph. Yeah. Yeah. We left in the morning. We drove an hour to the trailhead. An hour of highway driving. um, Yeah. And then we, we which we drove entirely at the speed limit. Of course, you know, would never exceed the speed limit under any conditions. (laughs) Never (laughs) hours of off-road driving. Yeah. And then we did it twice. So we had a pre-lunch off-road route Mm -hmm. and then a post-lunch off-road route. And they were several I think probably about two hours at least each. Yeah. Now it wasn't nonstop. Yeah. You know, we would pause because yeah. we were in a group, but sure. it also wasn't like getting out every five minutes and hanging out. Like we yep. were driving. That's right. You know, some obstacles that required 
some significant accelerator input for sure. You know, not just a forest service road. There were some technical sections. I thought so. Yep. And then to come back another hour drive back to the hotel and we got there and we were at like half a tank, (laughs) half a battery, half a battery. Yeah. It was pretty impressive. I, that surprised me. I think, Um, I think a lot of people who are concerned about range with EVs, I don't want to say it's unfounded, but there's an anxiety that we have of not being able to fill up kind of at will mm. an EV. But I think that in practice, when you get behind the wheel and you, and you really take one out that, you know, one uh, purely an EV, not a hybrid, but um, an EV that has a significant range like this, you find that it's fine. Yeah. And didn't they say that like with this, with the equivalent of a supercharger, you can go from 20 to 80% in 40 minutes. Was that the spec that we heard? That's, that's what I remember hearing. Yeah. That's impressive. I mean, it's like that, you know, just go have a nice coffee or enjoy lunch and I'm ready to go. I may be mistaken, but I remember them saying you could get a hundred miles in 10 minutes of charging. That's fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And that's all the things we're learning. I mean, they're, we're just the beginning of all of this. I know. That's and, they're, the and they're learning stuff so quickly. There's so much pressure on innovation mm-hmm. in this segment. They know the resistance that consumers have to electric vehicles and they're actively trying to mm-hmm. take away those reasons to say no. Yeah. The suspension is, it's four wheel independent airbag suspension. So it has currently three modes on height. There's an entry access mode height. When you go to Watts to Freedom, for the zero to 60 launch, it lowers the vehicle down quite a bit as well automatically. And then it has like a normal mode that you can drive around. And then it has this off-road mode. With a future update, they said that we're, there's going to be an extract mode, which essentially lifts the Hummer six inches. And so, it, and we saw one parked out in the parking lot in, a, in extract mode. And it's like, it is way up there. I mean, the A-arms are at a quite, quite the angle. But yeah. if you were high centered on a ledge or you were stuck in a little bit of mud or you, you came down on a log or something like that. It'd be really easy to get out with that. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. It's got this infinity roof that I thought was really interesting. A lot of glass. So when we're on the trail and it hailed on us, because of course we got some really interesting weather out there, which is actually what we want when we're testing a vehicle like this. You know, we want to kind of have some extremes to, to see how it performs. I remember I was distinctly aware of how much glass there was in the roof and how much visibility I had because the hail was hitting it and it was like amplified. It was yeah. totally. Yeah. But having that, having that view is really, it's really pleasant. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think it makes it kind of like a convertible. I mean, you can take out all four of those panels. They all store in the in front, in the, in the front. Yeah. yeah. The rear window rolls down. Yeah. So it's kind you, of forerunner style. The whole yeah, thing goes. Exactly. So you really down. do feel like you're in an open air vehicle. I thought Yeah, that was pretty clever. Yeah, it's really nice, especially, I mean, like many of us go on the trails to enjoy and be in the nature. And so that really kind of gives you that that opportunity. Well, and speaking of that, that was one of my most profound takeaways was the silence of the electric vehicle on the trail. I thought that was one of the most pleasant off-roading experiences I had had in that regard. In fact, one of the spotters was bringing somebody down an obstacle. And then here comes this like little ground squirrel completely could care less that this vehicle was coming towards it. Cause it doesn't sound like, you know, like a UTV screaming, like a 12 year old. I mean, it just, it's like, did I just say that? Um, it's <laughs> like, it's very quiet. It's just super chill going through the trail. And then when we were coming back, we we're all in a line. I mean, there was 10 vehicles or more maybe. Yeah. And we're all just cruising along total silence. And here comes this little javelina and he's just, he's totally carefree. He's not, yeah, he wasn't running. He wasn't no, taking off because no of stress. Us. He was just kind of like going about his normal business. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some of the engineers, uh, one of the engineers we rode with in the morning, Aaron, he was talking about how he just like would surprise deer on a regular basis with this vehicle because it was so silent. Yeah. I mean, in, in my few other experiences in vehicles that are, well, in this case, a hybrid, the four by E, but driving under electric power, I had the same experience and, and with the Hummer too. I mean, yeah, it's so pleasant that just the silence, not listening to like motors, just idling and yeah. And it's not that, I mean, I love internal combustion for all of the right reasons. Um, but this is actually, I think an argument for it. It is, you're very much connected to the experience We had this breeze coming through the window. It was just perfect. It was really I thought pleasant to, mm-hmm. to drive with no noise and you know, everybody else appreciates that too. I mean, the campers that you're driving by and the, the animals and the hikers and we're a multi-use community and 
we all need to do our part to make it as pleasant as possible for everybody. And I think this is a big step in the right direction. So I, I would agree. It comes with 35 inch tall tires, but they designed it to fit 37s, which I thought was really clever. Uh, so with no modifications, 37s bolt up. So the wheel well clearance is suitable for 37s. It'll clearly affect range and some other things. And, and I don't even know that it needs it. This thing is really capable, but somebody will want to put 37s on their Hummer, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, I do already. Yeah. We talked about the full length boron skid plates. Mm -hmm. What'd you think of the four wheel steering? So cool. Yeah. (laughs) It's so cool. And it's, it's new, but it's not. Um, and I think GMC even has, they've produced other vehicles that have this feature. Yep. If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember which vehicle it was. Yeah. Like early 2010, they had a Denali. Mm-hmm. that had, a, I think they call it quadra steer or something like that, but it, yep. it, it did have steering in the rear. Yeah. I mean, I, I was shocked. I mean, as someone who drives a, a large vehicle as my daily driver, uh, you know, I've gotten used to that. I remember that feeling of initially getting behind the wheel and being slightly uncomfortable with the clearances and trying to get familiar with turning radius and stuff like that and hitting a few curbs in the process. And in the Hummer EV, it is, I mean, it's like a game changer It is um, when you're behind the wheel. It is executed so well though. It doesn't feel like something alien. It mm. just kind of feels right. And I mean, it feels impossible. It, <laughs> like, how did I just make, impossible. how did I just make that, yeah. make that turn? Yeah. I mean, we were navigating some really narrow parts of trail with yeah. ca- cactus right up to the sides of the tracks. And I mean, it just kind of danced in between them and it, it's fun following another Hummer EV and seeing that in action. Cause the back kind of like swings out just a little bit. And yeah, it's crazy. And I thought it was really cool too across the different driving modes, they change the turning rate of the rear wheels. So like for instance, in terrain mode, you get the most extreme. I forget what the ratio is. 1.2 to one. So the rear is actually turning faster than the front. Right. And so it kind of helps you pivot around obstacles much easier. And then, you know, when you're in off-road or just kind of standard driving mode, it's, it's much. I think it was 0.6 or something. So yeah, the rear is kind of catching up to the front. Yeah. Interesting. I thought it was, and it makes sense because off-road you're, especially in terrain mode, you're going very slow. Mm-hmm. So it gives the rear steering time to catch up. Whereas if you were on the street and you were going through dynamic driving situations, you wouldn't want the rear to be trying to catch up to the driver inputs, which are very direct. Uh, so it does make sense that the rear would be slower yeah. to engage with that. And then you can turn it off or you can go into crab walk mode, which was very cool. You have to do this long press, which it seemed like it like an unnecessarily long press, like half of that time or a third of that time, yeah. I think makes a lot of sense. I understand why they need you to confirm it because the vehicle all of a sudden starts to, to move in a direction that you better hope that you expected it to do that. Because, I saw like you turn the wheel 180 degrees, yeah. but you're just kind of shifting. You're it not was, actually, it was, yeah, you're not, you're not actually turning. Right. Yeah. And so I found a practical application for it. We were getting, trying to do some video work and we were in this line of Hummers and they were all very tight, like front to back. I mean, like a parallel parking situation. So I turned on crab walk mode and I basically just came out of the line of trucks to the side to just like, just scooted sideways out and off I went. It was pretty cool. It was very clever. And I think it's kind of, it, it points to one of the funny things about just all of the technology and new features in this vehicle. You, you have to like rethink about what driving a car is like, because some of these new features are so alien to the average driver. It's mm. like, you have to come up with, you have to figure out what the scenarios are where these features become useful, but they are useful. That's the thing. They're not just gimmicks. I mean, there is a real time in place for that crab mode, just as there is for sure. the four wheel steering. Yep. Yeah. And I think crab mode would be great in, in compact city environments where you're, you're dealing with really tight tolerances. And then on our way back out uh, in one of the lead vehicles, they got high centered coming around a corner. So they just turned on crab mode and then pointed the tires to the right. And they basically just moved the vehicle off of the obstacle by shifting it sideways, as opposed to putting it further and deeper into the skid plates. So that was just like, it was very clever and it would be easy to dismiss it as a gimmick, but it's not a gimmick. It's pretty impressive. Um, I don't think you'll use it very often. And if it didn't have it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But the the rear wheel steering for tightening the turning radius, it's amazing. It's actually very similar turning radius to a two-door Jeep Wrangler, which is nuts for something that big. Yep. 
And a special thanks to this week's sponsor, Black Series Trailers. Have you seen how much more it's going to cost you to go RVing this spring? With gas prices skyrocketing, those overlanding adventures may seem like they're going to be a lot shorter or maybe even going out the window. Or are they? Our April sale will have you fueled up and ready to roll because Black Series has a high ticket gas card for you. All you need to do is purchase a Black Series RV between the 10th and the 20th of April and we'll give you a gas card valued up to $3,000. Want to learn more? Visit our website at blackseries.net. All right, we did ask the question about payload because that's important to us. And on these Edition 1 vehicles, which are heavily loaded with accessories and They have all the accessories, right? I think, yeah, pretty much. Maybe not the the dealer installed ones, but I think it has all of the- All the features. The features that you would get on a a build. It still had a 1,300 pound payload. Now, what's interesting about that is that you can tow with this vehicle. So if you're towing a trailer, you have to figure in the fact that you may have a 500 pound tongue weight, which goes against your payload. So now you're at 800 pounds. If you've got four full-size guys, you're you're banging up against that payload really quick. So it's important important to, to note that 1,300 pounds of payload is acceptable for sure. But what they said was that other models that are less contented will have more payload. But it is, I think, important to frame it within the context of you don't really need to modify this car. It's not like you've got to like, oh, I've got to put sliders on it and I got to put skid plates and I got to put, you know, heavy duty, you know, axles and I got to put in big tire. It's got all of that already. So there's not going to be many accessories you're going to put on it in my mind that would take up payload. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me when when you hopefully some of you get, get the opportunity to drive one of these at some point, even if it's just for, for fun for a day. Mm. I think you'll find that, yeah, you're not left wanting for anything not really. features wise that it doesn't have. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. Let's talk about Super Cruise a little bit. Yeah, Super Cruise is super cool. Yeah, because we're going to talk about the road driving impressions that you had. Well, it's a good place to start. So Super Cruise is, is the Hummer's version of autopilot. You basically push a button and it takes over. So it does the steering for you. It will lane change. It maintains speed. It will overtake other cars. Um, when it first did the lane change, how was that? It caught me off guard. You know, because <laughs> both of us. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't know what was going on. I came to grab the wheel. You know, I didn't take over, but sure. I, I brought my hands back immediately. And and the reason being because my the only other experience I have in a, an autonomous car would be like a Tesla and. This may have changed now because it's been quite a few years since I drove that vehicle. But in the autopilot mode that that had, I would have to manually put the turn signal on to have it change lanes for me. Sure. So the adaptive cruise control would would obviously take into effect immediately when it was under autopilot and it would, you know, would catch up to a car, but maintain a safe following distance and slow down if it needed to. But it wouldn't change lanes. And that was a trip. Yeah, yeah it was good. It was entertaining. And yeah. So for those that are listening, this thing will actually check the lane next to you, check the blind spot, look for an opening. It will put on the blinker. Mm-hmm. It will move over a lane. It will pass the car and then it will go back into the lane that it needs to, if it, if it needs to do that. It's yeah. like unbelievable. It's so, yeah, it's so wild. And yeah. it, and it's, it's so nice though. I mean, again, this is a kind of thing that some people look at as like novelty, but when you use it, you immediately see the value of it. I mm. mean, talk about a relaxing driving experience. Like you just kind of sit back and you, yep. you can't disengage completely. Obviously, like we had times where the, the super cruise shut off and yep. I had to take over. And partially that is because it's such a new vehicle and, and their, their data that allows for super cruise to operate is somewhat limited right now. I think they said they have about 200,000 miles of roads mapped where you can use super cruise which certainly sounds like a lot, but you know, in the context of the whole of, you know, the U S mm-hmm. that means there's still a lot of roads that are not. Yeah. That, we had so. several roads that like highways that didn't have it when we were doing the drive, but you know, the one one did, and that was just like to watch it effortlessly. I mean, better than I will say better than the average driver by quite some margin. Cause it stayed right in the lane it wasn't wavering. In fact, I think I told you, I'm like, don't you feel like you need to pick up your phone and start texting? Oh yeah. <laughs> but it's just what's happening right now is that people are just picking up their phone and texting, but they don't have the vehicles not paying attention for them. Yep. Like I'm not suggesting for a moment that people should be reading or texting while they're in super cruise, but you know, people are going to do that. So the world is still better off that this technology exists. It's a lot less likely that the vehicle is going to run into something or go off the road and into a ditch. Exactly. Yeah. I think, yeah, those momentary 
times where we're not paying attention, yep. like having something operating uh, and trying to maintain a trajectory and speed and avoiding obstacles is great. Now, yeah. we did struggle a little bit um, with some scenarios. Like there was that one um, kind of interchange that we went through right? where um, it told me, it said Super Cruise, you know, disengaging or turning yeah. off, yeah, deactivating and I had to take over. So that's not entirely surprising. You know, that's no. kind of a complex scenario and I'm fine with that. You sure. Know, if, I, if, I, if I need to be the driver again, that's fine. And I think they do a, a great job of visually making it clear that um, it's going to stop. There's an actual kind of like illuminated um, panel that's embedded in the steering wheel that lights up. So it's green when Super Cruise is on and it, it turns red and it, it's it's red in your face. So you kind of, it was, it was obvious to me that I needed to take over. It was just so neat to watch. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. And then what else did you think on the road? I mean, how did the overall road driving experience go for you? Super comfortable. Yeah. Um, for such a big vehicle, it was quiet inside the cabin, I thought. Yeah, we, we heard some tire noise, which would be expected because these are aggressive tires. Yeah. But it's so quiet otherwise that you actually do notice other noises. Like on the trail, I even noticed like the air-conditioned seats, like you would notice the blower. Whereas if you were driving an internal combustion vehicle, the engine noise would drone out the blower for the air-conditioned seats, but you actually could hear it. It was so quiet. And it's kind of funny. They will pipe in noise, driving mm. noise. That's kind of, it's like manufactured, right? Right? It's it is coming right through from, the speakers from the speakers. So you, you have that sense of the noise of the, the internal combustion engine, even though it's not there. So, yeah. And in some ways I like that. I, oh, I believe that there's a way to turn it down a little bit. I think you have to have it because as we noticed in some obstacles, you get very deep into the throttle and I, I can see why the engineers would want, want to make the driver aware of the fact that they're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the throttle because there's no other indication like the RPMs aren't going up. You don't see that like, right. like you would in an internal combustion engine. Right. So I, but it was a little loud and maybe seemed like more than you needed it to be. And I'd even like to see it go away completely at lower speeds and lower throttle positions or a lesser throttle position. So, but I, it does make sense once you get into the throttle deeper that it's got to start telling you that okay, you're, you're like, you're getting close to that 1,200 foot pounds of torque yeah. that you're asking of this engine. Like, is that really what you want to be doing right now? Sure. That's a good point. Other kind of driving, you know, road related things. I really like that, that regenerative braking paddle mm. on the steering wheel. So it was on the left-hand side, kind of up at the, the 10 o'clock area of the wheel, you could, you know, it's a manual lever that you pull towards you and it activates like above average regenerative braking. So in situations where you don't need an abrupt stop and you can slow down gradually, it kind of allows you to to gamify this experience of extending the range to its maximum. So you can, you know, you can capture extra energy by braking with that instead of the brake pedal. Well, and it was shocking to me how much power there is in the regenerative process because off-road using that same paddle, you can basically bring the vehicle to a stop without using the mechanical brakes. It just provides that much resistance. So when you're going downhill off-road, I wish that that paddle was kind of like a rheostat where you were feeding in a percentage. Right. Cause it is pull. either it's just on or off. It, it felt that way to me. That may not be the case. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't ask the engineers that question, but it felt like it was pretty much an on or off situation. Yep. Yep. Um, it would be nice to see it like ramp up and you could actually use it uh, just for regenerative only is what I want in this situation. Um, so you can add on to the range. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. what do you think about comfort, the overall like interior, the way the interior look, the, the technology, the, the electronics package on the inside? Yeah. I mean, I think starting with comfort, um, comfort was, was above average, I would say mm-hmm. for, for myself, I really like the finishes on the inside and kind of just the, the visual appeal of it. It feels very, uh, <laughs> at once modern, but also kind of retro a little bit. It had um, a mid-century modern kind of vibe to it that those bronze and they're like know, vents, rectangular yeah. kind of big rectangles. Exactly. Yeah. The, the materials choice I thought was very interesting mm-hmm. and appealing to me, um, which is funny because I like I chose cloth seats for our truck um, just because they feel simple and easy to take care of and they're not fancy. And the Hummer's funny. It kind of feels fancy, but it kind of feels sporty. Mm. It's like a lot of um, different like synthetic kind yep. of surfaces that are textured and there's nice contrasts. It's kind of a non-absorbent surface everywhere, which was actually kind of nice. There was one point I remember when it was 
it had been dumping rain and there was a lot of water on the roof. And I opened the window like a bucket of water just about came in and it kind of splashed all over the armrest and everything. But it kind of just like made its way down to the floor. It didn't really absorb in and stay wet all day. Mm. And and it was dry pretty quickly. Yeah, that was something that I noticed in the rain is they may need to look at some kind of a, of a rain channel or way of moving that water off of that one corner of the window because mm-hmm. When it's raining and you roll down the window at all, something, it's like basically like the the bucket mode, you go into bucket mode because like the water just starts pouring into the, onto the door card. Um, It happened on both sides. It did. Yeah. On the passenger side and on the driver's side. So that, I thought that was really interesting. There's something about how those panels are made that it's just channeling 100% of the rain that's falling on the vehicle into that one spot. It's, it got really wet. Like it, it, did. it really did. It I mean, did. I'm sure that they take into consideration moisture because it has removable tops and all that. Like there's got to be some consideration of it getting wet, but it, it seemed a little excessive on yeah. the water pouring in. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of comfort. It, I, I found it comfortable. Seats adjusted well, air conditioned seats, heated seats, heated steering wheel. Yep. Um, I thought kind of the layout of the cockpit was nice. You get two massive screens. You've got your, your screen with all of your driving information right in front of you that's digital. And then you also have the massive infotainment screen, which is touchscreen. And it's also got a couple rows of piano keys below it. And um, those are kind of neat. They kind of can, they change based on the, the particular menu or screen that you're looking at on the infotainment system. So it's kind of neat because none of, the, none of the keys are labeled, but as you go through the different screens, you can kind of see yep. what, what the individual buttons are, are assigned to. And I did like that they, they weren't ashamed to like to put the performance attributes of the car very front and center with those piano keys. So, you know, rear locker, front and rear locker, vehicle stability control off, parking guidance off. They were very prominent. And I like the fact that there wasn't too many buttons. I think it maybe EVs, there's this desire to make everything super techie where you can activate anything with a button or some multiple menu pushing, but it felt like everything that I needed the car to do was right there at hand, which I like. And all the ones you just mentioned, those ones are static. They don't yep. change with the That's menu. Right. So lockers and, and things like that. I did notice that because it's coming to mind right now to activate the front locker, you have to be in terrain mode, mm-hmm. which I did not care for because the terrain mode activates the one pedal drive. Um, I would like to be able to in some other mode or maybe that maybe it's possible. And I did forget to ask the engineers this, but maybe there's some way to do a custom menu so that you can be in like a a maximum off-road performance mode, not high speed, low speed, technical terrain. And then you can turn the front locker on and off without having to have the one pedal operation, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But the fact that it has a front locker is a great thing, but it requires five, six second hold to turn the front locker on. And I think that that's too long. I think that, and there needs to be some, maybe give it a confirmation on the screen, push it. And then are you sure you want to lock the front diff and then click yes, because there's no other indication that you've held it long enough. Right. Other than that, it turns on. I think that can be improved probably with a software update. That's the nice thing about that. Yeah, that should be something that could be changed. Yeah, I think you need to be able to toggle through the front and rear locker without having to hold it for five it was, to six seconds every time. Say, yep. There's on a technical trail, you can be turning the front locker on and off regularly, um, and you got to come to a complete stop, do the whole thing. You know, it'd be nice to see it be a little more reactive. Yeah, I agree. Or maybe you just agree to it the first time you do it, and then it lets it turn on and off actively until the next time you key cycle the car. How did the high speed stability feel on the road? Like, did it feel confidence inspiring to you at driving at speed? It did. Yeah, I thought so. You know, we had a couple times where I did bury the accelerator and just kind of see. On ramps. Yeah, on ramps, right? As long as you're, you know, there's no rule about how fast you can come up to speed <laughs> as right. long as I don't you don't think exceed, so. <laughs> exceed the speed limit. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember one in particular that was, it. you know, it was a curving on-ramp and I kind of went for it and you said, trust it, trust it. And and I did. And um, it held the line that I, I picked pretty well, I thought. I noticed that as well. It, one of the things that we look for, we call it traceability, but when you're in a steady state curve, like on that on-ramp or in a, a large sweeper or any turning event, um, when you hold the line, does the vehicle start to understeer off of that line? Does it require a lot of correction from the driver? Is it very traceable? Does it continue to maintain that arc uh, without a lot of other inputs if external factors haven't changed? So if the vehicle is very traceable, it has a lot of 
um, it has low driver effort. It actually increases the steering, the feel of the steering weighting uh, because it is an electronic steering system, but it makes it feel firmer at road speeds, which I also like because it is a big truck and it should feel like a big truck. Um, but then when you get off road, they lighten that up and then the steering effort goes very, very low, which I think is also really nice. It reduces fatigue while you're moving through the rocks and everything. That's a good point. And I do, I do distinctly remember those, those two qualities of like the almost effortlessly turning the wheel in the off-road scenarios and versus yeah more more feedback more tactile feel to the wheel yeah i thought the on-road presence was great and like if you go from let's call it 40 to 75 it happens so quickly that the speedometer can't actually keep up with the (laughs) with the speed increasing like it was it was like skipping like five, six numbers at a time. Yeah. Just jumping. Unbelievable how fast it was. As you can tell in the audio, like we, we had a good time with the, with the speed of this thing. Uh, let's get into the off-road a little bit. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, it was such a pleasure. Like I kind of mentioned it before, but it almost felt like the course was like a dance. Yeah. Um, and despite the fact that you're in this very large vehicle, it's, it's kind of pivoting and just, just kind of gliding between these features. I mean, the suspension was, was very settled. There is a sway bar in the front, correct. Mm-hmm. And, but not in the rear. So sometimes there's a little bit more, um, abrupt motion, um, yep. when you approached an obstacle, but usually the rear end of the vehicle felt a little bit more settled through some of those things. Yep. Uh, one of the things that really blew me away was I, I would attribute it to the traction control, but its ability to still accelerate very fast on loose surfaces. Sure. And you really kind of demonstrated that to me through some of those washes that the course followed. Yeah. Yeah. Tell yeah. Me, you'd be able, me. well, you'd be able to, we were down in a gravel wash and you'd come out of a corner and we were just kind of cruising through one corner and then there's a straightaway ahead of us and, you know, heavily corrugated in the beginning because there's lots of wheel hop and even axle wrap from other vehicles. Not, you don't really get much axle wrap from the, uh, the Hummer, nothing perceptible, but you do get wheel hop. And so there's these deep corrugations in the start of the straightaway and the fact that it could hook up as well as it as it did, I mean, it it would just launch um, down that uh, wash. It was pretty amazing. And then we did some panic stop testing as well, or threat extreme threshold braking maneuvers as well. And in those deep corrugations, like it maintained a lot of traction, but you could tell that there was a lot of wheel movement, and we were banging off of the the stops as well. Like mm. you could actually hear a couple of these hard kind of hits uh, going through these corrugations because again, the front end is dived down, so you have very little up travel because you're under all this braking pressure, and now you've got these big holes from the corrugation, so you could really feel the suspension um, banging up against the bump stops, which was pretty interesting. But very very neutral at speed off road, which is what we typically want. A lot of manufacturers bake in a ton of understeer for safety. They'd rather you end up in the ditch as opposed to oversteering and then rolling. Um, so they bake in a bunch of understeer, but that is not the case at all with the with the Hummer. And you can turn off vehicle stability control for the most part. There's ways to even disable it more, which I don't know is a good idea to share share to the masses, but I'm sure it'll come out on the internet at some point in time. But you can really let the vehicle operate very analog. And the way that they've got this battery pack so low and so centered on the vehicle, um, it is actually quite quick to respond to steering input and even more so to steering under heavy braking input. So that's what I'm looking for. Is this is this vehicle understeering on me? It's taking me offline or is it, am I getting a lot of braking effectiveness? And then is it turning in at a high rate? Is it turning in appropriately based upon the steering input? And it would turn in really nicely. And they also don't, they don't cut the throttle either. So I could be heavy left foot braking in a corner, the front end dives down, the front end hooks up, it turns in and I can actually start feeding throttle, which starts to rotate the rear end out. And it's just, yeah, it's super fun. So it is truly a super truck off-road. Uh, it has 13 inches of wheel travel front and rear. So that's long travel, um, which does a great job of absorbing impacts and and wallows and other irregularities in the surface. Uh, but it's also a heavy vehicle too. So it's important off-road to know that you don't have anywhere near the grip that you do on asphalt. Braking distances 
are going to be longer than you may expect. It's 10,000 pounds mass and motion. You know, it's it, there's only so much traction available to those tires to slow the vehicle down. So making sure that you pay a little bit of attention to the fact that you got a freight train in motion. So, yep. so high speed off-road, it's kind of what you would expect it to be super truck territory very fast, very confidence inspiring, stable, safe. You can go into a couple different modes that even make it a little safer as well. But then we got into some slow speed technical stuff too. Yeah. There were some kind of steep, quick up off camber things with like large rocks and some ledges and things like that. Cross axle holes. Mm -hmm. Traction was great through those areas. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we made it through all of the obstacles on the first round through when I was driving without engaging the lockers. That's right. And, and it was raining and it was raining. And, and that's, and that's not to say that the um, team didn't select a course that, that was truly challenging. Um, I mean, this was made to appeal to a, maybe a broader range of drivers and um, some folks with a little bit less off off highway driving experience, which is fine and reasonable, mm-hmm. but these were not gimmies either. You kind of had to pick a line. You did. And, um, yeah, it was really, it was really fantastic how well it did without even needing those lockers. But then we did test the lockers obviously too, because there were, I mean, I say we didn't need them. I saw some of the other trucks get some wheel spin and, yep. you know, have some challenges. And I like to think that, um, maybe we didn't experience that because of some of our trainings that we've done and, uh, maybe yeah. helped us. Yeah. Well, I think we, we did a good job of maintaining the right momentum through there. One of the main reasons that I choose to select at least a rear locker in most cases is I don't want to damage the trail. Like it's like we, we need to be good stewards of these places. And this was a beautiful trail. It, it had no trash that I could see. I saw one uh, balloon. Got it. <laughs> but that's is, not yeah, from that's the people driving. The typical Arizona. Yeah. Yep. You'll see. Yeah. Mylar balloons everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's it was a beautiful trail. It was fairly remote, but just rich density of Saguaro and Ocotillo. And like, you don't want to tear the trail up because that's when they close them. So for me, I didn't want to have wheel spin. So I engaged that virtual rear locker in almost every climbing scenario. And it just completely exceeded my expectations. I think it also helps the vehicle a little bit because one of the places that an electric vehicle struggles the most is just right off that zero RPM. So a good example of that would be like in Moab, you do the Moab bump over a over a ledge and you'll push the vehicle up against the ledge and you'll try to press the front tires into the surface so that they get a lot of grip and they can climb up and over. And then there's another maneuver that you do with the rear axle where you you kind of bounce the chassis up and then you feed some throttle so the front end pulls the rear up against the shelf and then you can climb up and over it. These electric motors don't do well at that zero-ish RPM range, like that very low RPM. They can't start to develop all that torque. So I noticed that by kind of keeping it moving very slowly, um, you didn't get in as much trouble. Anytime we saw another driver struggle, it's because they got onto the throttle, it spun, they got freaked out, and then they stopped. Completely. And they're they're on a steep climb and they're trying to get going again. So you can see the truck is struggling to get going and spinning a little bit and the brake traction control is trying to arrest it. And I think that's a very difficult problem for electric vehicles to solve. As drivers, we have to learn to adjust a little bit for these electric vehicles and very slowly, again, like low RPM, continue with a little bit of movement through these obstacles so that it doesn't have to restart from zero again. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, overall slow speed off-road technical scenarios, it it just was great. It was really impressive. Minimal head toss. So it was really comfortable for the driver and the passengers. Uh, The camera views took care of any of the visibility problems that you could just get from the the way that it's designed and the size of it. I thought that was really impressive. The tires were great. They were designed specifically for this vehicle to be a combination of off-road performance and on-road range, maintaining as much range as possible. So that was impressive. Uh, 18 inch wheel, which I mean, these are, they're really big tires on there. You can, you can see how big they are. And then all of the, all like all of the electronic packages worked great. The the one pedal drive is really interesting. It's kind of like uh, left foot braking, but with just one foot. Um, so you start to accelerate and the vehicle moves forward. You start to let off the accelerator. It actually starts to slow down and not just because of like what we had experienced with an engine where it's compression braking, it's actually starting to apply the brakes without you touching the brake pedal. So it'll actually, if you lift off quickly, it kind of parks you like it, it, 
it jerks you to a stop. It does. And that was, that was in the low range. Correct. Um, in the L position. Right. Yeah. And I remember one of the other drivers mentioned that they got on the radio and, and kind of asked because they noticed when we were driving in terrain mode in low, the brake lights were on, on all, on all the, the vehicles, vehicles cons- yeah. consistently. And they said, what does that mean? Do those ever go off? And and the engineers kind of got back to us and said, it's because there is a little bit of brake being applied the entire time. Yep. And, um, and I, we did, I, we did smell a little bit of brake sure. smell at one point from one of the vehicles in front of us. In fact, the driver got up and did a walk around because it, you know, he, he had been in terrain mode for clearly a very, very long time. So I think you want to move in and out of it. You want to be in terrain mode and really technical obstacles, but that's where I would like to see the front locker being available without one pedal drive. So if you're doing a long trail, the brakes are going to get hot. You're using more energy from the battery than you need to, because you're having to overcome the braking. Um, I would like to see the ability to engage the front locker without one pedal drive and without the vehicle brakes being applied. Sure. I think that would be an advantage. Uh, Front and rear departure angles, front approach and rear departure angles are great. Uh, You can improve the breakover angle with an air suspension. You can go into a high mode. Um, There's rock sliders that come on this edition of the vehicle that really protect it. And then, of course, that full length boron skid plating underneath. So quite the beast on the trail. And because of that four wheel steering, it's way more nimble than you'd think. Yeah, it was incredible. Again, just I mean, kind of dancing through these narrow sections of trail, like it drove like a much smaller vehicle than it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think overall impressive off-road. Yeah. I totally agree. What was your kind of thoughts around overlanding one of these things? Let's just quickly redefine overlanding. It's vehicle-based travel. Mm -hmm. So it's actually a pretty broad thing that we're defining with this one term. So I think, yes, absolutely. It could, um, you know, charging infrastructure is going to be one of the major considerations, but as we found out, we got a whole day of driving with hours of off-road off-highway driving and, and we still had plenty of battery life left to get back to where we started. So, and most trails are fairly short. I think you could easily do the Alpine loop. Mm -hmm. I mean, where I think you run into trouble is like, you want to go camping for quite some time and you're, you've got fridges running and all kinds of other accessories that are drawing on that battery pack. I think that starts to be more of a consideration, but at least in the 48 States, there's just not many scenarios where you're going to run out of range. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times when we use the term overlander, people tend to think of timers, you know, people who are traveling for months at a time. So maybe kind of what you just alluded to with, you know, needing a bunch of accessories or auxiliary things like those could draw some, or those could bring up some, some challenges for this particular platform, maybe not ideal, but also realistically based on the price, probably not a vehicle everyone's going to choose for it, but that doesn't mean it couldn't do it. You, you talked about it has 1300 pound payload. So mm-hmm. maybe for a couple plus camping gear, you know, that's no problem. totally sufficient. It has enough of a bed that maybe we'll see some cool, innovative company come up with a, a lightweight camper. I, I'd love to see like <laughs> go a fast. go fast style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that would be, I mean, it is a go fast camper. This is a go fast truck. Yeah, definitely. It kind of it needs one on the, on the back. I think that would be really clever. Might be the perfect test of the huckability of that camper. <laughs> um, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So you've got that bed, you've got the utility of the bed, you know, and, and also there are some accessories that will be available right away that yeah. would be useful. So we saw one of the vehicles at the initial facility. It had crossbars and it also had uh, some some tower. Was it like towers it on was. the bed, on the sides of the bed? And there right. was a, a rooftop tent. It up. was free spirit recreation rooftop tent up top. You can get two spare tires in the bed, a bunch of light packages, of course, uh, but it, it would be very easy to to camp out of that thing. And I think it it's, it's much more of a North American overlander than we would think. And that's because it has a 350 mile range. Like we, we were able to experience an entire day of driving on road and off. And we came back with a half full battery. So I suspect it will solve most of the problems that a, a North American overlander would have. And I think even in the back country. Yeah. Even for longer pavement bound road trips, I really think it'll do just fine here. Um, when you consider the fact that it can go from 20% charge to 80% charge in 40 minutes, you're driving an internal combustion vehicle. You're going to have to stop to use the restroom. You're going to have to stop to refuel, maybe pick up a meal. It's like, it's not, it's not going to be that different in this vehicle. Yeah, that's very true. I think there'll be a bunch of accessories that'll come out. I think integrating a winch with this will be really interesting. Uh, it'll be fun to see how people start to solve problems because it is 10,000 pounds. So it's going to be, it's not going to do great in snow or sand or mud because 
it's it's not the Hummer's fault. It weighs 10,000 pounds. So you can only have so much flotation even out of a 35 inch tall tire. Mm-hmm. So I think having a winch would probably be a good idea. <laughs> so yeah. Well, any final thoughts on the, on the Hummer super truck? Can I have one? <laughs> um, we just need one at the office for, yes. Like I'm feeling a little stressed. Yeah. We go zero to not stressed in three seconds. <laughs> Nothing else comes to mind, man. We've, we've covered quite a lot today. We did. Yeah. I just, it's cool. It's just so cool to see these these vehicles coming about with so yep. much innovation put into them. You know, I, I really, now I want to go and watch the A&E documentary that was produced on this sure. um, even more for a couple of reasons. One, we met a bunch of the people who are right. in the documentary featured prominently, and I would love to see what the behind the scenes was yep. like. And, and, you know, for those people that are unfamiliar, the timeline for production of this is like ridiculous. Two years. Right. Which is what, like half of what a normal vehicle. Yes. And they right. were designing it from the ground up. It's and, not like and during were, the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, so really interesting how they accomplished that. Yeah. So I think there's probably a really interesting story there. And so, yeah, I would love to go and watch that and just kind of soak more in about this. Yeah. And we're seeing a vehicle like this from a major OEM. You know, we're not just seeing it from some disruptor tech startup. We're seeing an OEM deliver an electric super truck in two years with an enormous amount of capability and the manufacturing capability to actually deliver units. And they're already delivering Hummers today. So now they are booked out. I think wouldn't they say till 2024 or something like that. You can't even get one, um, get on the list or something like that. So it's impressive how many they've already sold, but it's going to be very exciting to see the, the big OEMs addressing EVs and making more and more interesting vehicles. I was going to say, I think, you know, my takeaway is like, while this is a vehicle I, I personally probably wouldn't own for a variety of reasons, not because it's not fun, yeah, <laughs> nothing like that, yeah. but you know, the development of vehicles like this, there's a lot that comes out of this that will trickle down into things that are maybe more accessible to a wider variety of people. Right. And that's really exciting. I mean, yeah, that's they've like, an, they've announced an electric Sierra. So we're mm-hmm. going to see a f- you know, a half ton standard pickup with electric capability soon. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Matt. It was really fun to go out there and do that. We're going to have a full video on this on YouTube. It probably will have already launched by the time that you hear this or on the same day. Um, So we've got uh, a video coming out that Matt and I produced from the experience. You can see all of that stuff we were talking about live as it's happening, including Matt and Mai's expression on the, on the zero to 60, unless Paula wants to drop a little, a little Easter egg into the YouTube video for the, for the podcast, but it'll be pretty fun to see the video come together. We'll have a full article on expedition portal as well. And then also an article in Overland journal. Cool. Well, thank you, Matt. We appreciate you all listening and we will talk to you next time.